Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew LaPau. Let's start the show. Get on that bird and go! I want it clean like the highway. A Boston instinct, we do it my way. It's raining out there, so why play? Welcome to another episode of Musician. I'm really happy to announce that this episode I will be interviewing my best friend, musical collaborator, um, just all around great composer and pianist, Beck Berger. Beck comes from Boulder, Colorado, and he went to the New School uh, and studied jazz performance as a piano player in uh, his early 20s. He is now he has now started a new life in New Orleans after spending over 10 years in New York working as a uh, professional musician. Uh, so what we talk about in this podcast are the pros and cons of being a musician in a place like New York versus a place like New Orleans or Nashville. Um, and it, and we, we talk and we kind of get into our own music snobbery about what we like about uh, music. Uh, analysis or music academia also about going to the record store versus streaming services which seems to be a common theme among these last few podcasts so without further ado i hope you enjoy my interview with beck berger You kind of had to be on this podcast since you're uh, crashing at my house for the uh, for these two nights. Yeah. Um, so thanks for being on the podcast, and thanks for the whiskey. Um, sure thing. Yeah, man. So I don't know where to begin because you and I are kind of like too tight, and I kind of know too much about you that I don't really know where to start. Yeah, or you have you tell me anything? Me. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but what we could do is. Uh, you can you can kind of introduce yourself to people who might not know you. Um, let's uh, start with uh, let's start with your your roots. You're from you're from Colorado. Yep, uh, I'm from Boulder, Colorado, and I grew up there. 
Um, left when I was about 22, went to New York City, and I've been living in New York for 12 years. So I just left New York City for good yesterday. Drove down here, straight through, which was actually not so bad of a drive. Um, oh shit. Kind of nice, actually. Um, and I'm en route to New Orleans, where um, kind of just starting over. Did you um, what what was the uh, what was the the straw that broke the camel's back, or if if that even was it? Like, what made you really decide that you wanted to move to New Orleans? Was it just spending time down there? It was, but I feel like it was kind of brewing for a couple of years. Just the feeling about New Orleans, and I think part of it was um, when you left. Two years ago. When I, I left started, New York? Yeah, and you were kind of putting the bug in my ear, like, hey man, you know, there's a there's a greater horizon, and there's there's more than just New York City. It's not the end-all, be-all. And I remember you um, trying to encourage me to come here, and I was thinking about it for a while. But then I was thinking about, well, where is the city that, you know, really kind of resonates with the music that I love to play? And New Orleans was the one that was it. But I didn't know I was going to move there until I actually just went to visit. And I was there for two months. Um, I had some really good work this last year. And so I decided I was going to use it to try to come and check the city out. So I was um, I was there in October and November. And uh, within about a month. It wasn't really the straw that broke the camel's back in New York as much as it was the... Um, just the realization that pretty much in any time I could compare something between those two cities, New York lost. Hmm. And what, what, were, what were the big losing points of being a musician in New York? Uh, just that the, the city is so expensive for one. It's just really hard to sustain yourself. And I was looking at it on the long term and thinking, you know, this is this is working out, but it's not working out in a way that's getting me any closer to where I really want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really want to see myself in 10 years still there doing the same thing, schlepping down subway stairs with amps and guitars and, uh, or I mean, amps and keyboards and, uh, and p- playing kind of shitty gigs <laughs> I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of great opportunities in New York but there's also just um, it's, it's a very saturated city and it's a very competitive city and I feel like I was um, yeah, like everybody else in this kind of rat race you know everybody's willing to take any kind of gig and um, I would play some gigs that were really fun and I really loved playing and it would be like a $30 gig and I was I was willing to do it for the music but knowing that this wasn't really a like a um i don't know just not really a rational thing to do um on a on a on a financial level and uh i was just kind of getting by between the gigs that were good it's the up and downs and when it got slow I'd just kind of get back into the service industry just mm. catering or teaching uh which you know we do in the summer yeah um but when i was down in new orleans it was kind of uh, just a 180, and I was looking around, and I was just like, "This is a very vibrant city musically. It's it's a, in really good shape. The the clubs are opening, not closing, like they are in New York." Mm. And uh, 
that 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 says a lot about a place. Yeah, it does. I mean, just in the last two months that I was in New Orleans, th- three or four of my favorite places in New York were done. I mean, yeah. the tea lounge is gone. That shut down in December. Death by Audio is gone. Yeah. Uh, Glasslands is gone. Spike Hill is gone. The living room. The living room is gone. Well, it reopened in Brooklyn, but the, the Lower East Side living room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Knitting Factory reopened in Brooklyn. But, but it wasn't the same. If you had ever been to the Knitting Factory in New York City, I mean, you wouldn't even go to the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I mean, that really does say a lot about a city and, and, and where the gigs... I, I've noticed that in New York... Um, talking to friends like, uh, you know, Zakai or Zakai Curtis or Lucas Curtis or, um, who else? Uh, jazz musicians. The gigs seem to just be overseas in Europe. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Lucas lives out of Jersey, but he goes to Japan and Europe and, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's kind of gigs, the gigs in town, but it's mostly overseas yep. gigs. It is. It's. I mean, all the best work that I was getting in New York was getting me out of New York. Exactly. Like you, you, you toured in Africa recently, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, uh, Nepal and Africa through the State Department, which was great. Arguably uh, the best paying gig that you've done. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was the thing that got me to go to New Orleans because um, it was a thirty-five <laughs> day tour, and it was the State Department paying for it, so they take care of you really well. But um. The ebb and flow of New York City was just getting a little tiresome. And, uh, you know, just even commuting. Commuting in New York, doing anything in New York, you really have to fight for it. You want to do anything in New York, you got to really fight for it. Hmm. Getting around, um, getting gigs, uh, going to the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Tying your shoes in the morning. Tying my shoes. It's like, oh, fuck, I got to put a quarter in the (laughs) slots. Someone's going to hit you up for cash. It's it's a struggle, and I remember when we would just be kind of just BSing around uh, the village or whatever. You would always say like it was like you forgot that you said it to me like the day before, but you'd be like, "Man, I just wish it were like the '60s here. Mm-hmm. Like this would be great if it were the '60s here, or even the '90s, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the things that people tell me about Bleecker Street and the music scene down there in the '90s was that it was flourishing, and that there were clubs door to door everywhere. Down the block on, on Bleecker and West Third. And uh, there's a lot of work. So, you know, I, I was looking at New York and going, God, I don't know. Is anything ever going to get back to that? Uh, or is this city just going to get more and more sterilized? Are more and more clubs going to close and more and more condos, high-rise luxury condos, going to just continue taking their place? Um, you know, eventually all the artists and stuff, all the scene is going to just get priced out. The artistic people are not going to be able to afford it to stay there and um unfortunately there's always going to be something cool to do in new york it's just it's gonna happen but i mean really they are they are really sanitizing that city yeah and um eventually it's gonna it's gonna be like singapore or something i don't mean actually i don't know exactly what singapore is but it's it's a very clean 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 city (laughs) uh and I don't know if there's much to do there, but there's not going to be much to do in New York compared to what New York, the, the New York that people will remember from the, I mean, from back in the day, 52nd Street, mm-hmm. um, back in the 40s and 50s up to Bleecker Street and the West Village in the 60s through the 90s. Um, 
you know, all that is gone now. And maybe there will be some sort of resurgence, but really that none of these clubs can keep up with the real estate. Yeah. They just can't stay open. And if they do stay open, they can't pay the bands. <laughs> so that just, there was just, you know, all these compounding circumstances and lo- just looking at it, it was just like, this is not really, um, I don't have family anywhere near the Northeast. I got a lot of close friends now, but, um, New Orleans just felt like home when I went there and everything that I was doing there was easy to do. Yeah. Playing music was easy to do. Meeting people was easy to getting around was easy to do. Getting on, just getting on a bike and riding 10, 20 minutes to wherever I wanted to go. And I was there and, um, very healthy music scene, like very healthy music economy. Uh, people are really friendly. <laughs> Weather's better. Um, it's so funny like to, to hear you talk about New York in, in this light because I'm from New York, even though I'm from a suburb of New York, I was always in New York City. And it's funny when people come from out of town and move in there and they get their asses kicked or whatever, it's a struggle for them. To me, it's like New York's like like my asshole cousin or whatever that every girl's dated but like you're just like oh yeah well, this is my asshole cousin you know what, what do you expect yeah and uh <laughs> from from valley stream long island but you got some stars now yeah exactly like you you yeah you've been through the ringer mm-hmm. you got a few layers of skin on you um and uh and and you know it's time to move on but the moving on is not a failure thing you grew like you grew through new york you grew in that scene you went to the new school and you studied jazz piano um and then you and then you gigged you know you took you took all the odd job gigs and and you toured and you did a state department gig that with a hip-hop project that took you to all over africa um so there's a lot to be said and also the connections that you that you retained there mm-hmm. um so what um what do you look forward to in new orleans what, what do you what do you expect from new orleans or are you just going in flying blind and just seeing where you land well i was kind of doing that in the first two months i have a better idea of what i'm going to do now that i've figured out uh you know i got a sense of the city in in the last in october november um so now, I'm going there with more of a plan. Uh, you know, Sam and I, uh, we're living together, and he's he works all the time there, and we're going to... Sam Friend. Sam Friend, yep. Uh, of the he's, New Orleans Swamp Donkeys. So the Swamp Donkeys are, you know, they're a steadily working band there, and they get, uh, they get around a lot. Um, they get to go on European tours and come to New York a bunch, and uh, they put me on a few things a few times. But Sam and I are also going to put a band together and just do uh, kind of a variety of things between standards. Sam is a great, great song singer-songwriter. Also, just has repertoire from everything between the early 1900s to today. <laughs> yeah, just, he knows all that early stuff. Yeah, he's a human jukebox, and he's uh, is a really he's got a really great presence to him. He's a really he's he's got a. Uh, certain quality to him that kind of just feels like New Orleans, even though he grew up in your town, but he really gets that town. And, um, so we're going to be working a bit. Uh, we already got a gig, uh, the 27th of February that we're going to do at this new club on Freshman street. And my plan really is just to work 
and just work my ass off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be, you know, if I got to work hard and grind, that's fine. I know how to do that because I've been doing that in New York. But I think that the results uh, yield more, you know. Um, do, you, do you think the results are, I mean, do you think the results is just a complete lifestyle change? You don't have to, wor- you're, you're not worrying so much about where your next piece of food is going to come from? Yeah, it's a very, well, for one, it's cheaper. And um, so there's, it's just less stress. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it just seemed like um, it's, it was easier to break in. It was really a lot easier to meet people, break in, and be sort of brought into their circle and their family. You know, once you once you know all the musicians on Frenchman, where it's just you know that's the highest concentration of gigs and scenes besides Bourbon Street, and that's kind of a different scene. It's more of the I don't know. For anybody out there, you know the difference between bourbon and um, the rest of New Orleans. <laughs> well, I'm uh, looking forward to, so, to going down for Mardi Gras. Yeah. I mean, I've been to bourbon a few times, and, uh, you know, and though it's not my favorite place to hang out, um, it's just such a trip. I love that. I love that whole area. Um, yeah, me too. I mean, even bourbon, I do kind of try to, when I'm in the quarter, I'm, I'm definitely trying to avoid bourbon and if i have to cross bourbon i just get in and out and that's it i'm done with that <laughs> uh you, yeah it's all the it's a smelly street lots of um first lots, of, there, lots just... of music on the street but it's not the kind of music that i i mean you can hear that anywhere i i i didn't come to new orleans to play um steve miller's the joker and <laughs> Well, that's Journey what, and, yeah, um, because I remember you, know. you said you, when we talked about New Orleans years ago, you were like, yeah, I just went down there one time and it was just, every band was playing the Joker and mm-hmm. it was like, such it left such a bad taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I was thinking about moving there when I was younger and that kind of turned me off, but it's because I didn't know where the good stuff was in the city because I didn't know anybody in the city. Back then it was... I mean, I was also kind of wet beyond the years. I was a lot younger, and the city kind of scared me. It was—it seemed like a rough town, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is where I want to be. Um, even though New York kind of seemed that way to me, too. But at least in New York, there was... Uh, back then, I knew that I would be surrounded by guys that were really going to school me musically. Hmm. I knew that... You know, that's a, the great thing about New York is that the musicians there are are definitely a cut above the rest not to say that there aren't brilliant musicians everywhere around the world but there's a high concentration of them in new york and you can surround yourself by them and you can really learn a lot and grow a lot get your ass kicked a lot um and that's what i was doing for the last 12 years and i'm thankful for it i appreciate it i'm i don't regret any moment that i was there yeah in New Orleans, um, there are really incredible mu- musicians. They're the brilliant. Um, things are a little looser, I think. Maybe a little more laid back. Um, but that's also something that you can work in your favor, I think, in terms of meeting people and being able to, to get around. And if you're good, you know, people appreciate it and they want to play with you. For in me, New York, people are like, sorry. Okay. They're like, oh, yeah. You're good. You can play. <laughs> yeah. But so can the other 95 killing piano players that I also know. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah um, so. What I noticed in, in New Orleans was when I went down there, I don't know if I was just totally like buzzing on the whole atmosphere down there, but like just improvising felt natural. I mean, it does feel natural uh, to a degree, uh, depending how comfortable I am with material, but like just sitting in with bands down there, like sitting in with the Swamp Donkeys mm-hmm. or playing on the street with you and Sam. I didn't have to, there was no conscious, it was all stream of consciousness type of playing, and it was like all appropriate, I didn't really have to think about what I was going to play, it was like everything kind of just flowed in the ether yeah. down there, it was like this, this, like you know, the bed of American music is down there, and I think, I don't know, maybe that's just, there's something kind of, uh, that just kind of moves through that city, or maybe I just was able to pick there it up. There is, there is, um... There's a current and there's an undercurrent in that city. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, actually, she she's 92, and she was really psyched that I was moving down there because she's Southern. Yeah. And uh, from Memphis. So she was also kind of like, you know, be careful. And she used that word. She's like, there's an undercurrent in that city. There's a, So you got to watch out for that because it'll pull you under. I bet. And um, I mean, you can feel I it. Just, it. Yeah, yeah, just driving in. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's an undertow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's yeah, it's something that you almost can't identify. It's weird, but it's there. It's in the air, and it's like a creepy kind of spiritual thing. Maybe even if you, if you on on certain days, certain nights, I remember just walking down the street and just I don't know, breathing it in. It's just foggy, and it's just weeping willows and palm trees and music and. Um, but then there's also a lot of, there's a lot of everything there and there's a lot of, I mean, it, it can be, it's a dangerous city and it, it's, it's a slippery slope kind of city. You can, you can get really, uh, fucked up there. <laughs> yeah, you can. So, um, I was having a lot of fun, but I was always telling myself to be careful, know my limit and know my surroundings, but um there's a there's for lack of a better word there's a magic in the air and uh even though there are a lot of people moving to new orleans i still feel like people go there and they they go there because they love that town and they don't want to take anything away from the town they just want to be a part of what the culture is and uh like going to bj's that night when we saw king james and the special man and bj's is just a divey shotgun bar and it's smoky and it's just packed full of people listening to some nasty blues band that sounds like something out of the 1950s and yeah, they actually have that sound yeah. down to the T. It's so good. And everybody's just getting down. And there's a lot of apathy in New York. Like, uh, I, was, I was driving down here to Nashville with my buddy Ted, who was also coming from New York, and he just played the Way Station, which is kind of a comparable place to maybe BJ's. And um, he was just kind of making the comparison... And saying, you know, like people in the audience in New York, sometimes they just, they're, maybe they're kind of into the music, but people aren't really into the music there. <laughs> as much as you go to New Orleans and people are just, they are just devouring it. Yeah. It's, it's palpable, this kind of mm-hmm. tangible. And, I mean, and it's all young people too, and that's great because I, I was sort of saddened sometimes. I, I play a lot of gigs, like for example, Long Island, um, kind of. No offense to anybody from Long Island, but it kind of feels like a a, a cultural uh, void there, maybe. 
But um, <laughs> that's two slams on Long Island on the podcast already. Boom. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, even Kenny Werner, he's a piano player. He he called it a cultural wasteland. He's from Long Island. <laughs> yeah, and, I remember. Uh, I, just, I just recently read uh, Effortless Mastery yeah. for like the third or fourth time. Yeah, that's where where he said it. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, I remember playing blues gigs there and looking out at the audience and being like, well, people are here digging it and they're all over 50. And I'm like, where are all the young people? I'd ask them, like, where, where are the young people? And they'd be like, oh, they all just go clubbing. Yeah. And uh, Ted was, the, my, my road buddy that I was driving down here with, was like, well, listen, man, you know, tw- no one really, it's a young city in New York. Everybody is in their 20s, but they, um, you know, they go to New York to People go to New Orleans. Young people go to New Orleans for music. Everybody goes to New Orleans for music. If you want to go there, you go for music. You go to New York for finance, for money. People that want a status. That's you know these people are more concerned about money and status than they are about music. And I'm not saying that general. I mean, there's a lot of great music and a lot of great you know people come to New York for music too. But I would say, just in general, from just all the comparisons I've seen, it's just. I just love seeing people who are hungry for music, and that was what I was seeing every place I went in New Orleans. And it was something I really fell in love with is just the cathartic moment between these people dancing and these people playing, and looking at them and actually seeing people my age and going, "Oh, this generation actually does love this kind of music." Because mm-hmm. in Long Island, all my people my age are just they just want a club, right? And then I'm playing to you know people of my my parents' generation, which is fine. I'd love to play for anybody, but you know, it's still nice to be able to relate to people in uh, certain ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you grow up in, I uh, grew up in New York, and I uh, just remember, you know, getting the jazz music, and you know, all the jazz gigs were like the wedding cocktail hour things, or um, playing uh, playing brunches and playing, mm-hmm. and then playing, you know, at Smalls, and then and but even that was an older crowd or a student. It was a, it's, a, it's a student crowd, and yeah. the student crowd, they, they are there, they're, they're hungry for the music, but they, they seem hungry in a different way. They're more, they're more competitive, and they're more of like, um, I think they're, they're very analytical, and they're looking at the music and trying to analyze it and trying to, they're, put it in a box. They're put in a box, and it's, it's kind of vibey, and it's, it's very, uh, <laughs> sometimes it's really nerdy. Yeah, sometimes it's just. I, I feel like nerdiness does kill music a bit. Um, I like being an. I think I'm a music nerd. Period. Like mm-hmm. I will but try to is... get in all to the types of, you know, trivial music things and and. But at the same time, there is something kind of like, I have I have an aversion to the, very academic. Um, breaking down of, of music in a club yeah, yeah like, like you're there to listen you're there to like hear this artist express himself instead of like compare comparing uh mike Mar- uh, like mark moreno to kurt rosenwinkel or something or lagaloon to the, these other guitarists it's like well those are they're not really trying to be another guy mm-hmm. they're not trying to kurt rosenwinkel's not trying to be pat Metheny, and yet like you'll just get into these conversations like i'm wasting my breath even talking about this yeah. because this is just music. This is just art. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too is uh, the. Not that I don't appreciate adventurism in music, uh, because I do, and I like when people push you, but I don't like when you're facing a situation where you feel like everybody's just trying trying to throw you 
rhythmic and harmonic curveballs left and right all the time or the listener to yeah. the point where the listener's like I don't get it I don't, yeah. I don't get what's happening you need to kind of keep them but if it's all the students, they're they like trying to learn how to yeah, they, they accept the curveballs and how to how to understand them. And it's like, okay, yeah. now you guys are just getting into yeah. very, you know, you're playing music for musicians. Yeah. It's like uh, if, if you've ever hung around mechanics and you don't know anything about cars and that's yeah. all they do is just talk shop. And Yeah, it's like, let's play Countdown in five and let's trade nines after the second chorus. Mm. <laughs> or let's just syncopate and reharmonize to the point of obliteration and <laughs> i mean some guys are really great at it but uh, i mean and maybe i can get it because i have yeah. worked well, on this but to the average person they're like what you know what it's funny this? it's funny to hear you say that because you your harmonic sophistic you have a very sophisticated harmonic language in your own compositions and in your own playing and to hear you talk about how you can lose an audience like that is interesting because what I like about your music is it is very visceral. There's something to grab onto. There's a deep groove underneath it, which I think is probably the like the common denominator of your music. It, is, it has this groove to it, um, which is danceable, but it's also kind of like um, it, it just like it really pulls you along. And at the same time, it is very harmonically complex where. You wouldn't be able to just count out numbers like in a Nashville number system. That's a one chord. That's a five chord. That's a whatever. Yeah. Um, your music takes you, and you have to go where the harmony is going. And and much of your music is through composed, so you're kind of going along for the ride. And I think that's why I and a lot of people I know really like your song "Dadmont" from your Strong Medicine album, is because it does have that harmonic complexity. It's got a great this kind of rock feel and it just has this build to it it's uh it's um it's cool like your music does take people along for a ride and uh i don't know that that's compliment (laughs) yeah thanks man thanks a lot uh no but really um and and to hear like just a uh you know uh whatever any type of jazz standard autumn leaves or something being played with just all these just trying to get as out as possible, you can lose an audience's ear because it's almost trying, it's you're trying to play just to impress the other guys on the bandstand. Mm-hmm. Well, and though, and all the people that do that, you know, they're influenced by Miles Davis, uh, second quintet and stuff, all the 20 Tony Williams and Herbie Hancock stuff. But those, if you go back and listen to those recordings, that music takes you along for the ride, you don't mm. have to stretch your imagination to go with them. They're taking you because they're yeah. so harmonically uh, with it that you know there's nothing there's no there's really no curveballs. You're going with the exploration with them. Well, I think it's because uh, they well they're they're masters at their instruments and everything. Even at the young age that they were, Miles Herbie. Well, Miles was in his forties, but Herbie was twenty three when he joined the band. And Tony was like. 16, 16, 15 or 16, crazy young, young kids. Um, but you know, to be honest, the first time I ever heard miles smiles, um, I was lost. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite miles album. I think what it was is that it was like the first time I had heard jazz with no accompaniment. Um, yeah, this just 
Herbie lays out and then there's just bass and yeah. drums and it's just this open sound. And so I had nothing to grab onto because I kind of needed chords to hold onto for the harmonic directions. But um, I wouldn't, you know, for like the layman, and Bill Evans said this, he said he always trusts the layman over the musician about the, you know, the opinion of the music because it's the people that don't know the technicalities and the mechanics of the music, the harmony, what, what, it, what it is to identify what the harmony is or what the rhythm is. But to just feel it, that's what you're trying to get across. And so if you lose people, um, and I don't know. I don't know if it's it's really, it's so subjective too. This debate could go in circles forever. Yeah. Because uh, as a jazz musician, I appreciate the Miles Quintet stuff. But I know that if I showed my brother who is a mechanic, <laughs> he would listen to it and be like, man... I, this is Greek to me. I don't get any yeah. of this, you know. Your brother strikes me as a person that just knows what he likes. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember playing... I love Snarky Puppy. Uh-huh. And I remember playing him some Snarky Puppy. I mean, he's a kid who listens to... He's not a kid. He's a 34-year-old father. <laughs> but he's still my younger brother. But um, he's got a really sharp tongue and he's really opinionated. And uh, he listens to stuff like, you know... I don't know, he, he likes hard shit, you know? He likes... Uh, I don't even know. Like, stuff like... He likes Lin- Rage. I know he likes Rage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he likes he likes heavy, hard shit. I remember playing him some Snarky Puppy, and there was, like, some screaming synthesizer solo. And he walked in, and he goes, What the fuck are you listening to, man? This is fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, <laughs> and I, you know, just to check, just to make sure it wasn't just that song. Two years later, um, I was playing him a bunch of stuff off my phone, and some of it was like Saint Vincent, some of it was Little Dragon, some of it was Snarky Puppy, and I was just kind of testing, just to see, you know, the blindfold test thing on my brother. I'm like, what do you think of this, Nick? And he's like, Yeah, I like that. That's cool. It was some Saint Vincent. Uh-huh. And I was like, what do you think of this? And this was my favorite Snarky Puppy tune, like my new favorite one. He goes, oh my God, man, this is fucking lame. Ugh. So, well, I can see Snarky. Yeah. I, you know, it took, there are certain things about Snarky Puppy that I can see are just unaccessible to certain mm-hmm. ears. Um, and to me, it took, I mean, it only took for, for you to hand select certain tracks to play for me because you know kind of my taste we've yep. known each other for long enough that you kind of know my taste and so you can handpick those things for me like what do you think of this and I'll be like okay that's cool but there's a lot of that that's just completely lost oh I remember me. playing you one track and you're like eh, this is a little too smooth for me man yeah mm. I don't like smooth so yeah if, if anybody knows me like I that is that is my least favorite type of music is smooth classy slick like look at Look at how smooth it's like, you know. <laughs> Look how smooth we are. We're sexy, we motherfuckers up here. Like, ah, I cannot take that. I even remember before I even picked up the guitar. I was like in sixth grade, and my family we were at a hotel, and uh, you know we didn't. I didn't grow up with cable, so that was like a cool thing to get to a hotel and turn on cable TV, and then uh, putting the Weather Channel on and hearing this smooth jazz guitar coming out of speakers. And I kind of knew I wanted to be a musician at that point, even though I hadn't really gotten serious about anything. I was like, I just hope that no matter where my life... I remember thinking this in sixth grade. Like, I just hope no matter where my life goes, <laughs> I am never played on the Weather Channel. 
Oh god, yeah, <laughs> that would be. But that, I mean, it's a dream for for people, and you know, teach his own. And I love jazz guitar. I love Wes Montgomery. I love George Benson. I love um, you know so many great jazz guitarists, Kenny Burrell and Grant Green. But I think that there is this style of jazz guitar which is just so like. It's like you know, it's, no. it's just it's just too I, smooth. Yeah, and it usually does just end up on uh, the Weather Channel and in elevators or when you're on hold, um, talking to your bank on the phone or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> but I do, but I li- but I kind of enjoy it now, like listening to it on a hold signal, because because I'm like, okay, cool, like you know, like octaves and you know, just cool, like like just little bluesy licks. It's it's fine to spend the next two minutes like analyzing that for me, but oh, man, I don't know. Um, I guess maybe just because to me it feels like it's been done before, and, and just to recycle it, to recycle any type of music to me is very annoying. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, yeah, to get back to the whole jazz versus everything else and how accessible it is to um, to the listener, uh, and then put it into context with New Orleans, uh, you, what you get is you've got jazz lovers in New Orleans, and it's a jazz town. It's where jazz was born. Although, I have to say that um, jazz was probably born in New Orleans because Jelly Roll Morton was... The guy, and no one refutes this, uh, who said, I invented jazz. Mm-hmm. He was born on Frenchman Street, 1443 Frenchman or something like that. Mm-hmm. He grew up in New Orleans, and he's a badass composer. He was a blues man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he was also, you know, his, his music's raw and raunchy and rough. Yeah. I mean, it was... Um, it was not like soft music. It wasn't high society music or anything like that. But anyway, so then jazz was reborn in New York and not long after New Orleans. I mean, it was only maybe the early 1900s, like 1920s when Stride and the whole Harlem Renaissance was happening and Stride piano was like the shit right. in Harlem. Now how did, but so they say that the Stride like took off in Harlem during Harlem Renaissance, right? Mm-hmm. That was like the the style of Harlem, but didn't that also come from New Orleans? Yeah, I think what was happening was the sound of things coming from New Orleans, you know, because you have so many different people coming from so many different places in the world all coming together in that one place. And so you had a lot of the Caribbean music coming in and the Delta Blues that was there and the marching bands that were there. And, uh, uh, that that kind of created this uniqueness there um but then immediately caught on to so many things so i mean immediately everybody else in the country caught on to what was going on in new orleans because it was such attractive and appealing yeah. music this is I like mean, like hip-hop yeah from new york going and, all over the world i mean the second line i i'm i'm a big uh believer in in this theory that the second line is really kind of the birth of like I don't think funk music would exist without the second line rhythm I don't think that um, jazz would exist without second line and the second line came from the bambula and that was the dotted quarter note rhythm that came from the Caribbean which originally came from Africa it's just the so that's the yeah um I think in the Ken Burns jazz documentary, he's interviewing with Marsalis, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he says the difference was that instead of the oot, 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 oot of the marching bands, mm-hmm. they'd swing that last thing. They go oot, 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 oot. Uh-huh. Yep. And that was like where it was. That's what they do. And so it's like, but if you if you were to play a dotted quarter in the bass, like and then clap on two and four while I play that. Right. Yeah, it just automatically swings. Yeah. And so you have the downbeat. You have like this root that's real funky and can kind of keep your feet moving, but then you have this upbeat, yeah. with the two and the four that keeps you bouncing, mm-hmm. and so that informed so much music. It informed funk music. It's like what was going on in the snare drum in the marching bands, doing this kind of rhythm, and then that got spread over the kit when people started swinging. They're just playing those same rhythms, just comping on the snare, playing on the cymbals and the hi hat and everything, and everybody else is kind of still hinting at that and i feel like that's really kind of like the root that's the that's the basic ingredient there and so that immediately just i think everybody just realized like that was very revolutionary in music back then and in new york i mean jelly roll started recording with guys in new york shortly after he left new orleans and uh found that he couldn't find the guys that could play the music right but it didn't take long before New York guys were were doing their thing, and you got James P. Johnson and Willie the Lion Smith. You got Art Tatum, who came from Indiana, I think, but he moved to New York. Uh-huh. And you got obviously Fats Waller, and uh, these guys. You know, Art Tatum and Les Paul moved to New York together. Together? Yeah. Really? They knew each other. They were friends in, from back home. Wow. They, grew, they basically grew up together. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, so Art Tatum changed the game, yeah. and I think being in New York and changing the game made New York the next new jazz capital, and that was a long time ago, so it's been able to be the jazz capital for a really long time. New Orleans, though, has always still been the place where it began, and still you can identify the roots in all the music that is still there today, in the second line bands, and all the... Uh, even in all the Dixieland and the trad stuff, and the way that people play, people are just kind of funkier, and they're a little, you know, their time is a little looser there. Uh-huh. And um, I've, I mean, I grew up listening to that my whole life, and that's why I got into music in the first place. And I've always felt like that's what I wanted to always kind of be a part of, and um, I never wanted to lose that when I was playing. And I always wanted to learn more about it when I was playing. Um, and now that I'm in New Orleans, I realize that I am just still scratching the surface. And going to Louisiana Music Exchange and seeing like the, the, the aisles of CDs. And it's like, okay, this is your rock section. This is your funk section. This is your blues section. This is the jazz of the hip-hop. And they're like, okay, just the size of, you know, however big they would be in any CD store. Yeah. The ones that are still in existence. But then you see like, and this is our New Orleans section, and it's the other half of the store. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh my yeah, god, yeah, oh my god, so I am just rich. standing on the tip of the iceberg here. There is so much shit. Yeah. Oh my god. And so, um, I know I have a lot of, a lot of digging and a lot of growing, and I don't want to. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of musicians down there that are from somewhere else. A lot of transplants in general. 
But um, these guys are trying to learn this music, but then there's the other guys who have been there long enough or grew up there who are like, well, you know, you, you still have a long way to go. Right. You know, you're still playing the the idea of the music, but you're not playing the depth and the substance of the music. And I was hearing it and, you know, I was hearing all these, I thought they were good bands, you know, like bands that I was here on in Maison and other places in Frenchman. And then I went into Spotted Cat one time and I heard this band and... I heard this guy John Royan playing piano, and he's probably like sixty years old. He's a his day job is he's a swamp guide tour tour guide. Okay. Uh, and um, he was playing stride piano, and it was something deeper than anything I'd ever heard uh-huh. um, in that style. And uh, he let me sit down on the bench and just watch him play, and I was just watching his hands going. Well, I've been playing piano for twenty two years, and I'm looking at him going, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I have no He's moving so fast. It's, yeah. it's like, it's not just like root chord, root chord, like G chord, G chord, G chord. And because the, the four bars of G, no, it's like root chord, different root, different chord, root. I mean, like it's constantly moving. Yeah. The harmony is constantly moving all over the place. And it was so hard to just watch and be like, whoa, I can't, I couldn't even tell what was happening, but you could hear it. You could hear all of the excitement. It was like a fireworks show on the piano. And he's just accompanying everybody else. He's not even soloing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that felt like listening to something out of, you know, that felt like listening to James B. Johnson or something like that. This dude was a master. And I would bring up guys, other bands, and he would kind of just, you know, he's been in New Orleans since 1972. You know, he was in Royal Preservation Hall and stuff like uh-huh. that. And, um, and he was just like, yeah, these guys, they don't really know what they're doing. I brought up one person. He was like, he's a bullshit artist. <laughs> yeah, some kind, sometimes these these older cats can be kind of, <laughs> they can kind of scoff at the younger guys yeah. if they haven't really done their homework. Um, and that person that he was talking to about in particular was someone who is coming up. And so I was kind of seeing this like, uh-oh, don't get, don't get too cocky. Yeah learn this music and stay humble and keep learning this music if you really want to do this and no i mean i got I'm, i don't think i'll ever be like a completely like my thing is stride piano my thing is like dixieland jazz i'm going to continue trying to write my own music and do the thing that i'm really good at doing but i love that stuff and i do want to get a good grasp on it i feel like that's where i am in and musically it's hard for me to I hope I'm never really egotistical about my own playing, and but maybe even that's egotistical to even think, you know, like because to be too self, too focused on your own sound. Um, thank you. Uh, but like the whole thing is, I, I don't want to. I want to avoid that trap of egotism, and I also uh, I want to learn as much as I can. But at the same time, like I know I'll never be as good as certain certain players just because they have a certain type of physicality to their mm-hmm. playing that yeah. I just can't match. Um, but maybe, you know, if I just hammer it out more, I can. You know, I always feel like it, it, it takes, it doesn't take me long to kind of um, incorporate a person's like general technique into my playing. But like when it comes to the just like, just how they feel it, how um, how they get certain ideas across, it, it's going to take, it'll take a lifetime to, to learn that stuff. Um, but at the same time, I also want to like be confident in my own playing. Know I can show up to a gig and just be able to do play play what's 
what's necessary to play. Yeah. I mean, there are always going to be certain levels of depth to the music and you can always just keep going deeper. Um, and uh, the other thing to remember too, uh, this is something that guys in New York sometimes forget. Or there's just the debate, basically, between the traditional and the forward-thinking modern guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got all these kind of jazz Nazis, bebop Nazis who are like, you're not playing the music right, or whatever. Um, you haven't done enough homework. But although it's that, that might be true, the other thing to remember is that that music sounded like it did because of the time period yeah. and the experiences, the life experiences that people were having in that yeah. time period that cannot ever in at all ever be recreated you yeah have to... and, and, and it's almost kind of like a bastardization of the music to try to recreate it yeah and and to say that that's real music and what you kids are doing is not it's just kind of just, uh, it's just grouchy yeah you know i mean i don't think that guys back in the 20s or whatever whatever time period i don't think they were going okay we finally reached this point in our music <laughs> This is it. We're done. We're done. We this did is it. plateau, <laughs> and from here on out, um, we're patenting this, and we're gonna put it out into the world. And if you don't play it exactly like this, because we have completely perfected it, then it's not valid. That's well, those bullshit. Pe- yeah, but this- those people, those like you call them bebop Nazis or whatever, like those people s- just have crappy, crappy demeanors anyway about their personalities. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's true. It's true. You're not going to meet someone that's fun to hang out with that's that's just all about bebop and that's it. Yeah. Um, but it's good to remember just for your own self because sometimes you can kind of get caught up in that mentality if you're around that conversation enough. It's important to remember that uh, the time is going to... The life experiences of people um, and, and the time period yeah. that you live in is going to have an effect on your music. And your music is going to reflect your environment mm-hmm. um it's not the 1960s so that music just as much as you want to try and as hard as you want to try it's just it's not gonna come off exactly the same way it's just because today is it's the year 2015 yeah and it's great that if you can really study it and play it and transcribe solos or whatever and or transcribe pieces of music all that good yeah learn i mean they they say you know the the, the deeper the roots, the taller the tree. But go ahead and do all that, but then put it into your music and, and, and allow it to have some sort of relevance to what's going on today. And uh, that's the only way that music evolves. I mean, that's why music does not sound like it. I mean, if everything stopped in the 20s and we were just all still playing Dixieland. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, or if we all just, you know, we kind of stopped at a, at any type of period would be mm-hmm. would be so strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when people when people criticize modern music today, they criticize what's on the radio, but that is no testament to anything that's going on in, on the independent. It isn't, music yeah, scene. because you can go if you know where to go if you're savvy. I mean, I feel like musicians kind of are fortunate enough to know where to look for the good music um and i think that a lot it's of people so easy work- now yeah it's so easy now and it's almost kind of unrewarding now to find <laughs> you know you find good music and then you're like okay well that was easy <laughs> i'll listen to that whenever you don't dig it as much 
that uh, like, so you're saying you're taking it for granted but um i think i think well i don't know is that why you I, listen to the radio a lot so that when you do find some really great music you're like i'm trying to think oh, of a wow, record that, like I, a that i discovered and and was like a big a huge thing a huge record for me um I think it was just when my... Well, my favorite record, I think I've, I've decided the other day, my favorite record of all time is Pavement's Wowie Zowie. And, you know, people know it, you know, but, like, and my friend had to take me to Borders before, uh, and, like, play it for me. And he's like, you, this is good stuff. And then I, I bought it and I listened to it. And I, like, really cherished that record because, you know, I didn't find it on some blog that was just every week giving out 10 new records that you should check out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my, you know, a guy, a musician in high school, I seriously respected, um, who's in my band. Like, it was like, this is what you have to check out. Cause we were really into the Pixies at the time and Nirvana and all that stuff. Um, and I'm trying to think of some other records. Like I remember just going into borders and just, just scanning CDs and, and, and really like, going in there and even that was like you know that's that's a luxury that you have to was be able to scan cds and then it would play the cd at the store for you yeah so i remember going into like i was in a uh, chapel hill north carolina and uh and i was just checking out things and i saw that stephen malcolmus lead singer payment he had come up with a new record called pig lib with his band and i bought it immediately and then right next to it was wilco's yankee hotel foxtrot and i was like oh i'm uh, should check these guys out and I did and I bought that record so like that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot has a lot of meaning to me because I remember where I was when I bought it I remember I was just giving it a chance and then I bought it mm -hmm. you know um, now it doesn't it doesn't feel like you give anything a chance um, you're just you're just funneled you're just fed music that you can you know hey do I want to listen do I not you know like it's up to me you don't have to go digging for anything anymore like that 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 day was made me a Wilco fan and made me check out all their stuff afterwards and maybe go buy their stuff afterwards. Um, and I just don't feel like I mean, I, I try to recreate that now by going to the record store and I buy records and I find I go to the dollar bin. I go to all the used stuff and I'll buy the new stuff. I'll buy some new records. I just bought Jason Isbell's record. And uh, and so that that actually has a little bit more meaning. Like Jason Isbell, I guess, is a little bit more personal to me because i went and i bought his record and i gave him a shot without even hearing it you know i just bought the record and that record was like in the 20s that's mm -hmm. not you're not just streaming it on spotify for free um and i don't have money to throw around willy-nilly but i'll give something a chance and um and yeah so i i still have i still remember that the the like the thrill of discovering music at the record store but now it's like with the streaming services, it almost kind of just puts a puts a weird gloss over the whole thing. Well, yeah, I guess if you uh, if you don't have to dig so hard and everything is so immediately accessible, then um, it starts to feel like well, the reward factor is um, maybe yeah, it's lessened. Not as rewarding. It's just it's just kind of brought down a few notches, uh, but. Even if I go on YouTube, I mean, I'll do it all the time. I'll go on YouTube and just well, dig around. Thing. I'll dig around <laughs> and I'll try to find like yeah. like I've heard I've heard of some guy. I'm like, oh man, this this piano player. Yeah, Holy shit. yeah. You just watch oh, it all. Oh my god. I know. 
He's and then so I'll just go on YouTube and everything that he does. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna stalk you, man, on yeah. on YouTube, and I'll watch all these videos of people just with cell phone cameras filming you, <laughs> like I did that with Corey Henry, Corey Henry yeah. probably fifty times. And every time I, I'm on there, I'm like, yeah, I know it's YouTube, and I can just instantly just watch it. But at the same time, um, I'm just blown away. So, yeah. or you know, like uh, the other day. I put on uh, Dr. John's In the Right Place on YouTube, the full-length album. And I'd never heard it before. I just kind of stumbled upon it, mm-hmm. and that was very rewarding. Yeah. I hadn't heard that record, I think, ever. I know I've heard that song, In the Right Place, and maybe I've heard another song or two, but then I, whole, I listened to that whole record. It would, would definitely be much more rewarding on a whole, like... Um, procurement level of like going and finding that actual vinyl in a record store and bringing it home uh, but, so perfect example for me was when I just when I bought Oscar Peterson Joe Pass and Niels Peterson trio record for a dollar brought it home and I just listened to it every day it blew my mind and I only listened to the first two tracks over and over again I never really flipped the side I think it also because it had scratch on it but there is this blues etude and Chicago and Chicago blues were the first two tracks, and if that were on Spotify, and I just typed in Oscar Peterson and those just showed up on a list of songs, like what are the chances I'm gonna do it? I want to put that vinyl on, put that needle on, and mm-hmm. scratch out that music for me. Um, and there's just something there's I can't li- I have it on my iPod. I have I downloaded the record then afterwards, but I can't listen to it on my iPod. I have to listen to it on the record. There's just something about the record to me. Well, that, maybe that's a psychosomatic reaction I'm no, having. I think there's a theory to it. I'm, well, I have a theory to it. And it's it goes like this because uh, when you even if you put on a CD, I think the, the same it's the same thing. Whether it's digital and it's coming out of your computer from Spotify or whether it's digital and it's coming off of a CD, it's ones and zeros. That's what you're hearing is combinations of ones and zeros. Uh-huh. Um, vinyl is actual physical sound. I mean, it's a needle and it's moving up and down things that are actual physical. Yeah. It's, it's, so what you're hearing is a microphone actually. So you're hearing the actual physical sound of a record. Yeah. So that's what you're hearing. Like, that's what's going on in the air. So you're saying it's scratching out these, these vibrations and the microphone Mm -hmm. is picking that up and putting it through your speakers. Yeah. And it's a physical thing. You can touch the music. You know, because yeah. that's all it is, is the microphone touching that, those, those vibrations. Yeah. I mean, those grooves. So that's why I think the music sounds much more visceral when you listen to a, a piece of vinyl hmm. versus listening to something digital. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Every time I put on a record, it doesn't even matter what it is. Even if it's a shitty record, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? The sonic quality of it yeah. is still yeah. something better than that. It's, yeah. it's more rewarding than that. Like, uh, I have a copy of John Lee Hooker plays and sings the blues over there. And, like, that is just, like, that has to be you listened know, to vi- on vinyl. The reason I can hear your voice is because you're, right now, you're, the sound coming out of your vocal cords yeah. is in the air. Mm-hmm. So, when you put on that record, that's John Lee Hooker in the room <laughs> with you. I yeah. mean... That's really kind of basically what it is. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but no, no, that's cool that's, because, like, you know, when you yeah. put it, when you don't, when you don't amplify the the record at all, and you just put the needle on it, you hear mm-hmm. the record just like it's like a whisper, yeah, off the record. Um, 
Errol Garner's Soliloquy is another great record that I can only listen to on vinyl. Um, it just wouldn't be the same if I listened to it streaming. Anyway, let's uh, let's get let's get you playing. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. 
All right. Yes. Always delivering, Burger. Did you want to do another one? Or do you want to talk a little bit more? Yeah, I'll do another one. All right. I've been talking. I don't know what to do. Let's see. Oh, I know. I like this song a lot.
man, thank you for coming in, and uh, good best of luck to you in New Orleans, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Some beautiful piano playing from Beck Berger, a conversation about making a new transition in your life as a musician. I hope you all enjoyed that, everybody. Stay tuned next week.